Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Hi, you've reached Chris Baker. Please leave me a message and I'll call you back. Hey, it's Gabe. I can't get to the phone right now. Leave Welcome to another episode of Landline Podcast. I am your host, Alex McKay. Thank you for stopping by. Today's episode, Saul and I tell a few stories. I get angry about olive oil ice cream. Saul has a meltdown trying to surf in Bolinas. We even get a little bumper crop with Max. He's joined the National Guard. Tune in. Listen hard. Tell your friends, tell them to go to talkforliving.com, find Landline on iTunes, or go to soundcloud.com slash landlinepodcast, call the Landline, leave a message, 617-744-1895, we'll put you on the air, be a guest if you want to, but first and foremost, spread the word. Could you just give Saul and I's podcast a quick review from our first two episodes before we record another one? Uh, I listened to the first one. I haven't gotten around to the second one yet. Come on, still, man. Uh, work. I'm still working my way through uh, Corolla's interview with William Shatner. That's uh, pretty powerful stuff, actually. Don't you feel like Shat- Shatner's kind of a tiny bit boring, though? Well, it was really boring. It was super depressing, too. And uh, he was talking about... Um, kind of hit home for me though because he's talking about his friendship with uh leonard namois and uh how at uh the end of nimoy's life he refused to talk to shatner and i was thinking about how nice that would be if noah would do that with me but do you mean that you wouldn't speak with noah or if noah was dying that he wouldn't speak to you either way as long as he would just not interact with me anymore i'd be all right with it what what was the major beef that Nimoy had? I didn't get that. I was in and out. I was doing the dishes on that pod, and I don't really remember what happened. Well, Shatner kept saying he didn't know what he did to Nimoy, and Nimoy wouldn't tell him. And it was like the last year of Nimoy's life, which kind of makes me think that Shatner's not being totally uh, forthright. Sort of seems like he would know or have some idea what it was. Yeah, that seems kind of odd. I, I, I feel like Shatner is the grease ball of those two. Yeah, yeah. I would I guess that Shatner has more skeletons in his closet than Nimoy. Although, maybe not. I could see Nimoy being kind of like a 
a little bit twisted. Supposedly he was an alcoholic, and Shatner mentioned that he did that when he got older. He did that thing where he painted a bunch of, like, naked women, a lot of, like, plus-sized women. So I think maybe there's some darkness there that could be explored. I will say an interesting part of that interview was him describing how tenuous being on a TV show was if it was, like, the 1960s or 70s. Like, they didn't really have it made. They basically were working for a very small paycheck, and they had to continue to figure out how they were going to make money to stay alive, which kind of put it all in perspective. Like, obviously, Shatner's paycheck for Priceline.com is significantly more than whatever he was making to be Captain Kirk before Star Trek became famous. That's true, yeah. Priceline has probably helped a lot more people than Star Trek ever did, though. So, What's the dog park report? Uh, let's see. Well, I've been gone. I've been up in D.C. for the last week. So, How was that? Uh, uh, it was all right. Visiting uh, my mom and Marty and then... Well, I had my drill weekend in Smithfield, North Carolina. And then I went from there up to D.C., uh, which was uh, fine. Just hung out with my mom and Marty. Went and saw my G-Ma in Baltimore, which was nice, I guess. She's old. Um, Went and uh, saw my aunt and uncle in Rockville, Maryland. They're... uh, chain-smoking super Republicans, I guess would be the best way to describe them. Trump? Are they on the Trump team, or are they Ted Cruz people? Um, I think they're sort of resigned to just sort of social commentary at this point. I don't think they're really in... I hung out with Uncle Bill for like four or five hours, and in between customer service, in between calling the customer service at Marlboro, he didn't uh, endorse any one candidate. What was but, he? Uh, what was he calling them for? Well, it's like this insane thing. But basically, he's chain smoked Marbreds for literally probably sixty years. I think he's in his like mid seventies now, and I think he started smoking heavily in his mid teens. So literally 60 plus years been chain smoking marbreds and uh so he has this mountain of like coupons that you get that are just like you tear off the back of the pack and now i guess you just scan them with a uh smartphone and like maybe you can get a dollar off something and uh but he doesn't have a smartphone so he had to uh he i tried to do it on my phone but like I couldn't really do it. Plus, I don't want to be somebody that has like a Marbred app on my phone. <laughs> so, I got the number for customer service, and he called from his landline. And you could tell the like, you know, twenty-five-year-old vegan millennial who is working the customer service line like doesn't want to be associated with Marlboro, let alone talk to Uncle Bill about how he doesn't know how to use a smartphone and. But yeah, he, uh, we didn't, uh, I would assume he's, uh, Ted Cruz, I guess, gotta be. <laughs> They're not super religious. Ted Cruz is a bit of an evangelical, but I don't know. Well, I would guess Ted Cruz. What were you drilling for? Did you rejoin the military? 
Well, I'm in the National Guard now, North Carolina National Guard. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, it's not really an accomplishment. I just signed up. But uh, that was my second drill weekend. So they finally gave me my gear and uh, camouflage clothing, which is nice. Although the Army camouflage is basically like blue digital camouflage, which is really stupid looking. But they're phasing in the new uh, multicam green, which is really cool looking, actually. But uh, so next month, which is uh, maybe about 20, 19 days away from now, I'll be starting my three weekends with uh, the 20th Special Forces Group which is a National Guard Special Forces group. And uh, if I do well with them, they'll send me to the Special Forces training at Fort Bragg. And if I pass that, I'll be uh, a Green Beret, so to speak. Really? So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a step in the right direction, right? You were hoping for something along these lines. Uh, yeah. Step in a direction. found it's... I don't like to assign right or wrong to something before I actually do it. So it's a step, certainly. Do you want to stay on for another five minutes while I call Saul and we'll you can just you can uh kick off the podcast with us? Oof. Sure, I could do that. Alright, hold on. Hi Alex. Saul, Max says he'll start the pod with us. He's on the other line. Are you ready? Max? Hello? Saul? Max, it's good to talk to you. It's been a couple of years. Oh, hey, B. Haven't talked to you since, uh, I think, Tim's wedding. Yeah, well, we all know how that ended. Oh, my God. At Tim's wedding, Saul refused to let you go back to his house with you. Actually, Max, we just developed the Super 8 films from that that actually did come out. That whole time where we thought we were recording over a developed film, it turned out we had actually recorded it the first time. So I've got some oh, nice. got some great footage of you, me, Baker, and Margot eating salsa at the beach. Oh, that's right. I always hate those uh, beach trips in Napa Valley. Every time I go there, it's always the second day that we go drive to the beach and... Uh, my super hungover from the night before and I get car sick on the way there. So I noticed that you were also pretty critical of the California landscape in general. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to take the podcast in negative direction, but yeah, Napa Valley sucks. Anybody who says it doesn't suck is an idiot. Like it's just a bunch of people trying to like basically a really dry desert that has some grapes growing there. So, from afar, it sort of looks green, but yeah, it sucks. So that's that. <laughs> oh, now, man. what do you think about Oakland when you live there? Uh, fuck Oakland. It sucks. Wait, but... Max, why don't you just tell the story of tr- trying to move out to California, and then we'll let you go. Uh, I mean, it's not much of a story, and I didn't try. I did. I moved there. I lived there for almost 90 days, but... uh. No, no, it was like 120 days, whatever. Um, but yeah, after I graduated from college at 31, I moved to Oakland, uh, where I rented a room with some guys who were uh, 
prepping for Burning Man and uh, stayed there for a month and then relocated to Venice Beach and then uh, hung out there for a while and then relocated to uh, Greensboro. <laughs> so what does it mean to prep for Burning Man? Like, is that a, a weekend endeavor or how long does one have to prep for Burning Man? Uh, I think it depends on how hard you want to burn, so to speak, but these kids had put in like months worth of, not full-time work, but in their free time, they had, uh, like a huge, probably 10 person tent that they were, you know, working on and, uh, a bunch of other sort of, uh, I don't know, weird, like statue type things that I think they were going to set up around their tent and, uh. I gave them my uh, my Klingon mask that I got from that, um, I don't know, some like junk store in Chapel Hill. I had this awesome movie quality Klingon mask and uh, I gave it to them because they would be, I wasn't going to use it anymore and I think they hopefully are still using it. But yeah, they were, um, they were going to go to Burning Man, then they were going to go to this techno festival in uh, Reno afterburning man called uh afterburn so they had their next couple months were pretty uh pretty busy coming down from afterburn has got to be one of the worst hangovers of all time right like you've done burning man and then you just let's ride it to afterburn that's got to feel good and the ecstasy guy just comes along and he's got plenty and but at some point on the like thursday after afterburn you start to feel pretty shitty yeah, I think it's a level of sort of serotonin depletion and hungoverness that I don't think any of us have ever experienced, and I certainly hope to never experience. Yeah, me neither. It makes me feel sick just talking about it. All right, well, um, Max, can can we count on you for another podcast? It's been riveting. Before, wait, before, oh, God, I'm getting another call here. Anyway. Um, who is it? Wait, before, who is it? I think it's my stepbrother wants me to pick him up. I was on the way to pick him up, but I pulled over into this food line parking lot to talk to you, and then he put me on with Saul. Um, before I go, can you recount that joke that I said about uh, Peyton Manning and Chelsea Manning the other day? <laughs> I really cute. wish I'd saved it for the podcast, but I'll settle for you just retelling it. Um, I'm sorry to say i got to look it up on my cell phone. Gonna, no, no, no. I you should just it say it again, Max. Anyway, it's not going to sound nearly as funny as originally, but Aldo said something about this was before the Super Bowl, and I said I was, I guess, going to go for the Broncos because I don't like the Panthers and I hate Cam Newton. And Aldo said, well, don't you hate uh, Peyton Manning? And I said, no, I've always liked him. I think he's a great American, and he's the complete opposite end of the Manning spectrum as Chelsea Manning, which I understand isn't like a knee slapper now, but when I said it, it was really funny. All right, Max, we're hanging up. You're too good to, to let go on. Go pick up your stepbrother. We'll call you. Uh, maybe we'll try to call you before every podcast we ever record. All right. Fair enough. Bye, Max. Alex, hello, hello. Saul. Yep. What'd yep, you th- it's me. What do you think of Max's first appearance? If I was if I was assessing a political candidate, I'd say he delivers a clear message. Uh, 
he knows what he wants to be talking about, and it's impossible to turn off the TV when he's on. Um, so how's your week been, Alex? Well, you know, I don't really like the earth right now. I don't really like life as it's being offered to me. I don't like contemporary culture that much, and I really want to, like, cook food, talk on the phone with friends, tell long stories, you know, enjoy nature, walk the dogs, like, make choices that involve, like, slow, deliberate, calm decision-making processes, and instead it's just this crazy constant flow of getting up running to something doing kind of a mediocre job of whatever it is constantly checking the phone constantly checking the email constantly checking the internet constantly checking the maps constantly being around a bunch of cars a bunch of people a bunch of public transportation constantly being around like people who are just giving their opinions and their ideas and most of them are terrible and I, I just, I don't know, I had this, I have the dichotomy, the, the major contrast right now of going out to the tip of Cape Cod for the first time in my life yesterday morning, Ann and I got in the car around 8 a.m. after a hearty breakfast of local maple sausage, local farm eggs, and some Mexican watercress in a plastic clamshell. Some Mexican watercress. Well, you know, some sort of organic watercress that was grown in a giant farm that's closer to you than it is to me. Um, <laughs> and then we, I didn't know that was a breakfast food. And I've been well, I, the breakfast salad. It's a great way to just you know keep things moving. So, so we went to these sand dunes that are like a mile and a half wide and have these tiny little artist shacks dotting them. And you can actually apply through the National Park Service and a couple of nonprofit organizations to get an artist's, artist's residency and live in one of these shacks with a composting toilet on the Cape Cod National Seashore. And it was like this scene in Spaceballs where they're walking around looking for water. Like we're just walking around in these huge sand dunes with the two of us and our dogs, a camera, a pair of binoculars. We walked all the way down to the ocean. We looked at the birds. We could look out at the um, like the few small fishing ships that were or fishing boats that were out there, and then you know I come back today and go to business school, and it's just 150 people with opinions on their cell phones and their computers talking about the future and the internet and apps and how to get a proper customer value proposition and all this bullshit and looking at syllabuses and using buzzwords like, you know, burn rate and just innovation and incubator. And it's just like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Why are we living this contemporary lifestyle when all the best things in life are outside, meals at the table, are playing cards, are having conversations with friends? Like, what are we wasting our time? Can you help me explain this? I can try, but I sympathize. Uh, it, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a legitimate. I'm not going to say epiphany because I think that a lot of the things you've talked about are not new to your mind or anything. But it's a, uh, it's a, it's a drastic, drastic change. And I, I will say I totally agree with you that there can be those days when you have a, a day like that in a setting like that, 
and it makes you wonder sort of what what kind of happiness you're really working towards and and what you're getting out of the things that you're putting into your week to week life. So I'm I'm with you. I don't know if I can help explain it though. Well, I guess I don't need to go live on the Cape Cod National Seashore for the rest of my life because it turns out it's a great place to die. The Pilgrims first landed there in 1620, and within two months, two-thirds of them had dropped dead because of coal. They hadn't prepared. They were aiming... Yeah, but, you know, to be honest, in 1620, everywhere was a great place to die. I mean, you'd, you'd die in bed because a mosquito would bite you or something. I mean, it was... And let's let's be honest, if you'd made it past 25, you were doing great. So, but I do think it's just this interesting thing where I'm actually spending time on a day-to-day level and I'm, sorry, let me start over. The things I'm doing on a day-to-day level aren't actually accomplishing the tasks that bring me closer to the life I want to live. Like, I want to live in a house that has a fireplace, that has a big open space, that has amazing sunlight coming in, that has land around it, that has a great, you know, radio system playing awesome music when it needs to be turned on, that has great people coming over for dinner parties, that has a room where beer is being made, where there's pickles, where there might even be hanging cured meat that I'm making, where there's a huge freezer full of local animals that were slaughtered humanely, where there are like giant jars of grains that may have even been harvested locally, where I have a giant garden outside, where I know my neighbors, where it's like fun to watch the seasons go by. These things actually can happen. People are living this way on earth right now. I'm not asking for something that is, you know, undoable. But then every day... Yeah, I mean, you just described the French peasant's life in the 1800s. (laughs) So, so... But then if you think about, like, I'm so glad I'm in business school and there are a lot of things I'm learning there. But every time, so I had a conversation with a couple people about my ice cream concept today that the listeners have heard about on previous podcasts between Saul and I. And it's like, I can't even have a conversation. I say to them, you guys, don't worry about the ice cream. The ice cream itself is going to be great. I know the ice cream is going to be great. What I need to figure out is where to sell it. And then the conversations that they end up wanting to have with me are talking about how I should do... uh, Did you see on Instagram how there's, like, this guy who's actually in L.A. who's, like, taking, like, a Chinese-style waffle, and then he's putting, like, scoops of ice cream and chocolate sauce in the middle? And then someone's else like, I love those places where you can, like, put cinnamon toast crunch on the ice cream. And it's like, this isn't what I asked you to talk about right now. What... Making ice cream from local milk and local sugar is is a good idea, an idea, or excuse me, I don't care if it's a good idea. It's an idea I'm excited about executing. This is an idea that is a step in the right direction towards meat hanging in my cellar covered in salt. So if I'm asking for your help, if I'm looking for people to help me move towards a lifestyle that might not be the most revenue-driven, um, but might be profit driven like I might live simply but make a good amount of money and have like a nice bottom line after all of my you know things shake out why are we having a conversation where you can't even concentrate to actually help me understand the question that I'm trying to answer so what's so what's their answer I mean theoretically what would their answer be 
I don't say that. I'm too polite. I don't know what their answer is. I don't. I don't. Well, know. I know it's theoretically. Well, I mean, I don't know. Should I just not be talking to them? Do I actually not have questions? Maybe I don't have questions. Maybe I know the answers to the questions that I'm asking, and I'm just doing a nice thing by pretending like I have questions. But I know what the answer is. I just need to execute it. I don't. Well, do you value their opinions or do you not? I value their opinion if they come up with something that I didn't come up with on my own. And I feel like that rarely ever happens. I see. I see. Well, I mean, when was the last time somebody, when you were working on your business or you were, caring, you were working on a problem that you wanted to solve and you had someone who actually helped you like shed a little bit of light on it that you couldn't come up with on your own? Like, it doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I'd say about a year ago. So I don't know. It I mean, doesn't. It doesn't. It's true. It's so, true. But Captain Crunch is never the answer. Never the answer. You've heard me rant in class about how commodity food is the scourge of the earth. Who do you think makes fucking Captain Crunch? How do you think Captain Crunch is a good thing for the earth? Well, it's also funny, the idea just about making local homemade ice cream and then dumping Captain Crunch on it. You know, it's like saying that you're going to start a tailor shop and, and, you know, catching an animal and stripping the coat and turning it into wool or leather and making a vest and then hiring a little Chinese six-year-old and forcing him to stay up all night sewing it for you. I even had an email back and forth with this guy who sells lettuce at the Boston Public Market, who's a cool guy, old tech entrepreneur. He now grows lettuce in shipping containers year-round using, like, solar-powered lights and, you know, hydroponics. And we, yeah. were, we were going back and forth. We met a few months ago, and we were going back and forth, and I mentioned the ice cream thing, and he said, you know, this is a great idea, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I jokingly said to him, well, I don't think it'll be lettuce-flavored, but I definitely could use some um, vendors from the Boston Public Market, meaning, like, maybe you have some friends who have farms that will have, like, strawberries, blueberries, apples that I can use in this ice cream recipe. And he wrote me back, like, a brief iPhone email that said, like, well, lettuce wouldn't work, but there are savory ice cream ideas out there, and sent me a link to, like, an olive oil rosemary ice cream. I've tried that one. Okay, great. I am a 32-year-old <laughs> business school person who is obsessed with local food, obsessed with food, and is about to open an ice cream idea. I fucking know about the rosemary olive oil ice cream guy. I don't need you to send me that link. It's not the first time I've heard of it. Second of all, you consider yourself a person who's solving the crisis of food being grown in California and shipped across the country by growing lettuce in New England in shipping containers with lights and giving it to people for $14 a head or whatever you're charging. Yet your first suggestion is an ice cream that relies on products that are grown in California. I'm not going to make a New England ice cream with olive oil. Olive oil grows in California and in Italy and Spain. I'm not making that ice cream. Did you hear my idea when I told it to you? And how are you, you someone who's supposed to be on the cutting edge of solving these problems, the one who's suggesting that idea to me? Like, how is this going to get solved if you're the one who's saying olive oil? 
Were you able to bring yourself to say that, though? No! Well, look, I think that one of the things that got you in hot water, in fact, I know it got you in hot water, when you were, um, all those times in past jobs, was that you ended up, you, you ended up saying things and doing things that other people didn't like when it came to having strong opinions. And I think the beauty about your situation now is that they cannot fire you. They cannot demote you. They cannot write you up. They cannot recommend that your pay be docked. They cannot tell you two months down the line that you're not getting a five cent per hour promotion because they don't like your attitude. In fact, they can do nothing whatsoever. But but what about networking, Saul? What about how I need to network positively with everyone in the local food community in order to like make my idea work? Well, the Alex of 45 seconds ago would have angrily replied that anyone who tells you to go to California for olive oil to put on your ice cream or dump breakfast cereal on it isn't really worth networking with at all. <sighs> all right. Well, you're right. I just, I, I mean, they're not worth networking, but I mean, maybe, but... Oh, God, I don't know. It's like, if they're going to be that dumb, I think you just have to shepherd them. You have to, like, smile dumbly and then wait until your product is out and then hope that they it finally strikes a chord with them once you're making it. I mean, maybe he now, was... Why, why can't we just... Why can't we apply your rage and passion to the ice cream itself? <laughs> why can't we just call it volcanic ice cream or the Alex Inferno or something? And see these flavors stemming straight from the embers of your personality. Well, I think that um, there, you know, there are those places where you like go and they're in Times Square or whatever. They're in tourist traps and the people treat you like shit. I think there's even a chain of restaurants where you go and you're expected to treat like treat be treated like shit. Are you suggesting that I, I brought could... you to one for your birthday once, if you remember? Did we really? They're saying happy. They're saying it was me, your sister, and Tim, and they're saying happy birthday in an insulting, sarcastic manner, as though they didn't really want you to be having a happy birthday. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, all the other chain restaurants in the world who sing happy birthday were so similar that it, it became hard to figure out which was which. It's gimmicky. There's no doubt. No, but I mean, yeah, they were all. All the other people were angry too. But it, it's the thing is that. I, I just, yeah, I could, I could, I could become the angry local vor guy who screams at everyone. I mean, it's the, 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 uh, analogy I always make is when I go to my parents-in-law's house and open up their fridge and I just want to like rip everything out of the refrigerator and throw it onto the, onto the, uh, floor and say like, you, you're rich, you're educated, you're amazing you know art, you know culture, you know music, you travel around the world, and this food in your fridge is fucking disgusting. These animals were tortured, they were killed disgustingly, they were butchered by, like, slaves that were probably being raped by whoever worked at the factory, and they were shipped in, like, the most carbon-consuming way possible, and then brought to your refrigerator with, like, you know, just detesting elements in every... I, in every iteration of the supply chain. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to do about all this. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. 
so yeah, that that's it. I mean, all the all these things they do come together. This idea that I've had some interesting days at business school, where it feels like I'm so glad I'm there, and I don't think it's a waste at all. But there are so many distractions. I'm taking, I have five different academic requirements right now. Like I have four classes and a consulting project, and one of the classes is me trying to start my own gig, and it's just distracting. There's so much stuff involved in accomplishing the work for the day it's so inefficient and it's so based on going on the internet and using whatsapp and texting and emailing and just none of my like general activities are actually in the form that would make me most peaceful calm and happy if i had choice over how i ran the show and I just think that that is ultimately a conundrum for someone like me. And I don't know if you have any personal thoughts on the matter other than what you've already said. Well, if you asked me that about a year ago, I'd say don't go to business school. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of the exact. No, I just, I just mean it's the exact opposite of the, of the um, peasant lifestyle that you described. Now, obviously, you can use it, you know, to get to get yourself to that point, but. Traditionally, when we think of business school, we're not thinking quiet, disconnected, leisurely, creative, individualist, individualist, and so forth, you know? That's all I'm saying. But if you think of the places that you find yourself, like, most happy, like the businesses that you like to be in, whether it's a coffee shop, restaurant, you know, resort, hotel, whatever it is that you're spending your money at – Aren't there sure. aren't there elements of connecting with your surroundings that that I'm describing that are intricate to the success of those businesses and and can't we be successful business people and celebrate the earth like does all business have to be so metropolitan and be so you know internet connected? No, I don't think all business does, but I think business school does. Yeah. All right. So I just have to like take the high road and figure out how to apply this great education I'm getting to the places that I like. Yeah. And I think you shouldn't let it sort of dull you down too much. All right. Yeah, well, totally. let's tie a bow on this. Cause we got 20 or so minutes left and I'd love to hear some, some tidbits of, I want to, I want to know what you want to talk about. Well, I mean, I want to, it's funny. I, I had an experience in some ways, it was um, the sort of uh, parallel yet reverse experience of, of, of yours this week. Um, but it involved a meltdown that I'm not really proud of. I have heard about the meltdown, and I've been waiting for the details. Yeah, I, I imagine that uh, such events sometimes sort of, uh, you know, the, the waves get ahead of the quake. So... Um, so anyway, I'm going well, well, to get into it. Let me just interject here. We're here for you. This is a safe space. Landline Podcast is a safe space for meltdowns. All right. All right. So last week, uh, I believe Sunday, beautiful sunny day. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. And if you live in California, you can't help but take some small extra pleasure in the fact that it's February and gorgeous and 75 degrees out thinking of everyone who's not in California. That's just part of what being in California does to you. There's a kind of snobbishness, you know? So anyway, 
I woke up. I woke up in a great mood, went to yoga class, got back, and called Tim because we'd been thinking about, you know, meeting up or something. So Tim suggested to me that we go surfing. Now, if you, for those of you who don't know, Tim is now, he's a big surfer. I mean, Tim, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a California guy. He makes wine, he does yoga, he surfs. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty hardcore California activities. Uh, as for me, I'd never surfed a day in my life. And I even, I'd say, took some small measure of pride in having lived in some of the great surf capitals of the world, Los Angeles, you know, Sydney and Australia, up in the Bay Area, you know, near Santa Cruz, and never having gone on a surfboard during any of these living experiences had kind of felt me, made me feel like I was on a streak, you know, that I just was um, riding a streak of non-surfing, presumably to the grave. So anyway, Tim Tim said, come surfing, and I, I sort of thought about my streak, and I said, what the hell, most streaks are there to be broken anyway at some point. And I thought I'd give it a shot. Beautiful weather, nothing to do, just perfect day for it. So he goes to Bolinas. Bolinas is this little kind of tiny surf town up the coast, probably about an hour and a half, two hours north of San Francisco, hour and a half north of San Francisco. Um, I'd never been before, which is funny because I've been pretty much all over the coast. And it was settled by hippies, you know, decades ago who basically from what I understand, moved there wanting to surf with no one around to fuck with them or no one around to bother them. So anyway, um, I tell Tim, so the first, I guess the first issue happened when I, I had been planning on driving to Napa to meet Tim and then we head up together and he had to be at a dinner or something. So he said, just meet me in Bolinas. So I said, you know, that's, that's fine. We'll just, we'll each, do the drive in individual vehicles, which is less fun for a kind of weekend trip, but whatever. So you with me so far on this? I'm with you. I'm, I'm wondering when to talk about how Jewish people don't surf, but I don't know if it's now or I should wait till later. I mean, when, when do you drop that line? Cause it's like, who's the greatest Jewish surfer of all time? That that's a pocket. Nobody. <laughs> so yeah, keep going. All right. Anyway, that, that is a question you can ask down the road. So I get in my car and, you know, I, I drive and it's a beautiful day and it's a beautiful, you know, drive through like national parks and out onto the one and everything. But I will say that there's a lot of traffic. You know, these, these roads aren't really built for, you know, multitudes of cars going up and down. And apparently a lot of people manage to crash and get in fender benders and whatnot. So my, my irritation, although not raging by any means was, was steadily growing every time I had to kind of hit the brakes and spend 10 or 15 minutes crawling bumper to bumper, uh, in this kind of sea of, of luxury cars. It seemed that every other car was, you know, a Mercedes or BMW or, you know, some, something really nice, a Porsche convertible, whatever. Um, apparently that's just a thing when you're living in Marin in California. So we were, so I, I spent, a solid two hours, I'd say, getting to Bolinas. So I was, I was pretty happy to get there, but I, I wasn't in perfect spirits. To, you know, it's, it's a longer trip than planned. Anyway, so I drive around, and I spend probably like 20 minutes 
25 minutes trying to park. And Bulinas is this tiny town. It's not, it's not really like parking in a city where if worse comes to worse, you just pay for a parking garage or you, you know, worse comes to worse, you just drive a few blocks further and find something or circle around. This is like a very finite piece of um, town. There's like two roads that you can park on. And for such a laid back little community, it has an awful lot of like no parking, find this, find that type of signs going on. So anyway, I, I finally unable to park. And I was just like, whatever. And I meet Tim at the surf shop. So he wasn't there yet. He was somewhere else. So in the meantime, I rent my surfboard and my wetsuit and pay the guy whatever money he wanted, which was 55 bucks. And so he sets it up for me and everything. And then Tim arrives and some other friends of Tim's arrived. And I said, they were all, you know, ready to head down to the beach. So I said, great, I'm going to park and then I'll, you know, come back here um, and meet you guys at the surf shop and we'll go down. So then I got back in my car and I was in a pretty good mood again. I was ready to do some surfing. It was nice out, whatever. So I kept trying to park and I'm, Notice I'm saying trying to park and not actually parking. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, I got a voicemail on my phone from, from the group just saying, we're, we're down at the beach, so just get the board. And saying, Tim brought your board, so just park and then meet us down at the beach. So anyway, I keep trying to park. And, and now suddenly I was having a lot less fun. I'd say that, you know, that's sort of just where you cross the line on a given activity or day. And you go from having fun to not having fun. And you're kind of aware of that change. Well, well for well, me... Well, hold on, let me yeah. interrupt Let me interrupt here, first of all, because I'm not going to go on a major tangent, but this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Wouldn't you just... I know it is. I know wouldn't it you just rather have had your car evaporate off the face of the earth? The last thing you wanted to be doing was driving a fucking car around at that point. You just... Now, here's my one question. Did you ever think about, I'll just park illegally and get a ticket? What do I care? Yeah, I did, actually. I even I even actually pulled into a spot where I had a guaranteed parking spot with a $90 ticket waiting for me. But I really, to be honest, um, it's not the money. I just I don't like situations where these stupid little towns that masquerade as these quiet little hamlets just prey on you. They prey on outsiders. They're voracious. And I just, I didn't, I, I could have given two shits about the 90 bucks, but I couldn't stand the thought of just coming back to my car, seeing a parking ticket on it and knowing that the town of Bolinas would have 90 more dollars to spend on its annual church picnic or municipal fund or whatever it is that they use the money for. So, that I, I did entertain that option, but I ruled it out pretty fast. So I kept driving around, and I obviously there were 2,000 cars every minute pouring into this town because apparently everyone else in the state of California had decided to go surfing in Bolinas that day. And so there's constant cars going in, and the roads are crawling, and so you sort of crawl along one of the main roads, and then you can't park, and then you turn around and crawl along the other one and can't park. And you go back and forth, and like I said, there's no other options. You don't give up and go to a parking garage. So I did this a few times, and, and then I just decided that I just I was miserable. Because with me, I think that a few of the things that sort of historically make me miserable 
are definitely crowds, traffic, and parking. I think those are actually the three factors that are guaranteed to make me angry or faster than any others. And so I was just sitting right in the middle of them. But on top of it, I was getting so angry because when you go to New York, when you drive into, you know, L.A. or something like that, you know the traffic's going to suck. You know there's going to be crowds. You know that you're never going to be able to park. But to me, I felt like I'd been tricked. I thought it was this cheap, dirty trick by the town of Galenus selling itself as this nice, chill, peaceful little surf community, drive up, you know, park on the beach, run out into the ocean, surf with all the seals, splash and play and be happy, leave all the stress of the big city behind. And I felt that I was in this fraudulent universe where none of that actually existed. It was just this line of luxury cars going back and forth, back and forth, everyone trying to park. So anyway, I just hit this moment and I decided I'll drive down the street once more. And if I don't park, then I'm not going to keep trying to park. And so I drove down the street and obviously there were no spots. And I just sort of crossed, crossed the Rubicon and I wrote to him. I said, I'm sorry, but I won't be serving today. And I drove back to Berkeley another two hours. Oh my God. Uh, so it was it was a it was a rough it was a rough day, Alex. It was it was a really rough day, and obviously we'll keep talking about many of the the factors that made it rough. But well, I I don't blame you. I so living in Boston, we live in Watertown, and there's no um, easy way to get into Cambridge or Boston. There's the bus, but you have to take a bus to a subway to get anywhere of meaning in most of the situations. And, you know, who takes the bus? Well, my wife does. She does it well. I don't do well on the bus. But anyways, you end up driving. And the traffic in Boston is just as bad as everyone says it is. And everywhere you try to park in a neighborhood you want to be is all resident parking. And it's an urban situation similar to the one you just described. And we've gotten in a lot of fights on the way to go out to a date based on the fact that we're lost, the GPS, follow the phone, you should have gone left there, the roads aren't a grid, where are we going to park, where are we going to park, we're late for the reservation, where are we going to park. So I get it. Um, I think one of the major lessons, and the story's not over obviously, but I think that one thing my parents did by creating a life for themselves that wasn't based around a Monday through Friday 9 to 5 schedule, my dad did work, but he worked on his own time, is going to places like that never on a weekend. Like you should Yeah, just... but that's but that's but that's a thing. That's exactly what I do. I have a weird work schedule. I work a ton of Saturdays. I never work Monday. I have exactly that kind of schedule for that kind of reason. And usually when I go to the beach, it's on a Monday morning or something like that. I I live by that code, Alex. I live by that code. And yet on this particular Sunday I was stuck with the rest of the world, Saturday, Sunday off, Monday through Friday on, because uh, I was meeting up with Tim and so forth. And so I ended up sucked into this stupid little trap. I mean, the other thing is places like that aren't nice when everyone from the place you're escaping is there. It's just, well, it's, okay, so that's it's, my, it's that's like, my it's just, it's point. not, yeah. why, why, why do people still think it's nice? It's not nice. It's not nice to be at, 
place XYZ on 4th of July. It's not fun to be at place one, two, three on, on, you know, New Year's Eve or Labor that's what Day. I didn't, that's why I didn't understand. I couldn't understand why everyone else was smiling and happy. I thought they were absolute idiots. I didn't understand how people could be driving and walking around with smiles on their faces because it wasn't fun. But that's the thing, Saul. It's pe- some people don't hate people. I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't hate people. I hate too many people and too many cars and not enough parking spots. Yeah, you don't like people. You okay? So you're right. It's not people. You don't like. I mean, I hate a lot of people, but not all people. You came to terms with how many people are on the face of the earth on Sunday, and and, a spe- Look, and specifically part, specifically in California. California has what sixty million people in it, forty million people. It's a nightmare. I don't know how you live there. It's got too many. It's got too many. Well, look, I'll tell you, and here's the other part, and I, I think that you uniquely will understand and sympathize with this, and I haven't told anyone, mostly just because of the fact that the only two people I talk to are you and Tim, and I obviously haven't talked to Tim since that happened, so I've been waiting for the podcast. So basically, what I realized driving to this stupid surf town in this like sea of, you know, imported luxury cars and all of this was just that all it was, was basically like going to the Hamptons. There was nothing like laid back or, you know, there was none of the sort of traditional California element of like going to some laid back little town. It was literally just the West coast Hamptons, just every millionaire in Marin County piling into a Q7 and, driving to the beach. And I think that's what irritated me on a more metaphysical level. And it's it's unnatural. It's not the way that we're supposed to experience these things. And people can roll their eyes at me and I don't care. It's just that it 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 well fine, maybe they have the ability to enjoy it. But I mean, remember when we went to so Saul and I lived together in New York? for a while or for a year or for eight months. And that's the subject of the next podcast, but going to Jones beach. Why do people go to Jones beach? Yeah, exactly. Is it better than being in your backyard in long Island on a hot Saturday? I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure that creating some sort of mister situation in your back patio and listening to the Mets game when everyone else is at the beach and you know that you can ride your bike down to the deli to get a sandwich at one in the afternoon and no one's going to be on the road. Isn't that better? It's like I've actually had fantasies of thinking about New York City on an August night, a Saturday August night when no one's there and going to a like a rooftop bar and having or rooftop or just sitting outside at a table and having it be hot. And having the only people be there be people who couldn't go away for the weekend. That's fun to me. And it's like the sand dunes in in Provincetown were fun on February 20th. They are not fun on August 20th. Exactly. Exactly. So I feel... There's something about seeking out the same exact thing that everyone else in the world is seeking at the same exact time that's just supremely... Irrit- irritable. It's terrible. So my sister would say it's festive. 
No, it's not though. That's the thing. It's not. Well, I think I mean I think people think that we have bad attitudes about this kind of stuff. Yeah, but okay, I was when when I left, I actually I as I drove away, I I knew there would be repercussions in terms of the friendship I have with Tim. And I knew there would be repercussions in the sense that I still have not surfed and that I was committing to wasting the day and all of that. But I felt this incredible breath of freedom come over me. I felt like a weight had lifted from my shoulders as I just accelerated away from this stupid little town. And that lasted seven minutes till the first traffic jam going home. <laughs> so what did you do for the rest of the day? There was no rest of the day. It took me so long to, to get back again. That, that was basic, That was the day I think I got back at like five or six. Well, oh no, I know, I know what I did actually. I, I went to a Mexican restaurant and I drank a margarita and a beer and then I went and saw a movie. So it was, it was fine. But the point is I could have done that without the beach. And then I could have gone to the beach the next day without the people. I think that a lot of what we're centering on today is saying no. You just, you say no to things that you normally would say no to, even if you think it's the right thing to do to say yes. Does that make sense? So I should have just, I should have turned down Tim's invitation. Well, you had a good streak and I don't know if you're, you're bleeding back into, you know, a different phase of your life, but you did have a good streak where you just said, no, I'm not going to come. Now, all the people who were waiting to see you, which were normally your friends from high school who wanted to binge drink with you, were disappointed by it. But you ended up waking up the next day in an exponentially better position than you would have been had you said yes. So are you are you having a backslide on saying no, do you feel like? That's a good question. I think I... I think I definitely still say no to so many things and people that that I couldn't call it a backslide, although certainly I receive invitations to so many fewer things that I don't get to say no nearly as often, which is what happens when you say no a lot. It's, it's a problem, man. I mean, I have said no to so many things I've been invited to at business school, but usually they are people going to a bar to drink and it involves me taking an Uber and going to a bar that has a bunch of TVs playing Sports Center and like $8 Bud Lights. It, I just have no interest. I have no interest yeah, in exactly. these things. And yet, then I'm going to graduate from a business school and I'm not going to have the same networking as, uh, as other people because I didn't connect with them on that level. But what do we? What do I care if that's the way they connect? So... All right. Well, all right. So it sounds like you you don't approve, but you don't disapprove, which your, is more or less how I feel of your behavior. Yes. Well, I think my reaction is twofold. On the one hand, I completely empathize with you, and you would have been terrible at surfing, anyways. So, what did you miss out on? Probably nothing. I saw Gabe try to surf, also Jewish in uh saint martin and he had one of the worst times of his life and he got like 25 sea urchin spikes in his foot 
that my wife had to extract, and he claims he still has one. So, very traumatic moment for him. Um, so, you avoided that. It sounds like your beer and your margarita were delicious. I think, on the other hand, the problem was that you were in such a fugue state that you missed out on plenty of parking spaces. If I had been there with you, I would have said, just go with Tim down to the beach, carry my board, he'll carry yours, I'll meet you down there, and I would have found a parking space. Or I would have, like, gone up to someone's house with a VW bus in the driveway, and I said, look, I'm really sorry, I know you hate all these people coming into town on a Sunday, the parking situation is crazy, can I please park here for the next two hours, I'm going surfing with some locals, it's not a big deal. And I bet the guy would have said yes, or the woman, or, you know, in a worst case scenario, I would have offered him 50 bucks. So, or I would have just, I, I think there was a parking space, but you were tunnel visioned and you couldn't see it. I think that was the No, I was, I was scanning. There was none. Not a single one. All right. I'm well, positive of that. But no, I mean, whatever floats your boat. And I think ultimately, whoever surfed probably had a better time without you based on your um, mood right before you left. So. Yeah, that's fair. I, I will say that even by the time I stepped foot into the surf shop to rent the board, I was already not at 100%. And that's why... I, I, whoa, there goes our timer, Saul. That's our hour. It means we got to wrap up in the next 10 minutes. It means we're going to get 10 minutes of politics in. Our listeners are excited. The last thing I'll say is a town like Bolinas should just take the step to literally close town on a Sunday. Just don't let people in. Just say no. Just say no. It's like Okay, here's my here's my last word. I understand why a town like Bolinas doesn't like people like me, but I also want it to understand why I don't like towns like it. Yeah, and it doesn't care what you think. And I don't think you care what it thinks. I don't I'll never go again. <laughs> That's for damn sure. I mean I think it's a tragedy. I think it is a serious tragedy that California is becoming what it is. And I don't know shit about California. And people can rot, run all over me about that. And Tim would scream at me when he went in if he ever hears that. Although I don't think he'll ever listen to a podcast that I make other than what he's on. But I just think that it's like Bolinas is a pretty special piece of land. And it's being overrun by people who are making money by inventing the internet. And to me, that's just the worst form of humanity right there. That's it. That's as bad as it gets. That's... Well, if you don't like that, then you'd hate the entire Bay Area. Well, I mean, I just I wish the bubble would burst. I wish the real estate would just plummet. I wish all these Internet apps would just go south. I wish Peter Thiel would lose all his money. I wish that all these people trying to figure out how they could live forever would not figure it out and they'd die. You know, people who are working on ways to, like, live till they're 600, I wish someone would walk up to them and just shoot them in the head, honestly. So you don't, you don't even get 100. So I, it's just it's, – it's, it's not for me. I don't really understand what it is that they're after. They should be after a good water source because that's their major problem. Yeah, I think a lot of people in California now are after a California that stopped existing a few decades ago. So you got to move. I remember I was the last thing I'll say. I was talking to this uh, this professor of mine who lived in California, and in the Bay Area, uh, quite a while ago, probably like about forty, at least forty years ago, fifty years ago. And I was telling him I was bitching about the traffic, and I was rattling off these different highway, highways, 
that I had to take for my commute. You know, you got to get on the 880 or, you know, the 280 or the, you know, one, just whatever it was, you know, different names. And he just looked at me and kind of laughed and he was, said, I, I don't know what you're talking about because none of them were there when I lived there. They didn't have those highways. Mm. And it kind of brought home the point that it's just, it's a very different world. Obviously, any, any part of, you know, the world is very different from 40, 50 years ago. But it really slammed the point home that it's a, it's a different place. Okay, moving forward. Um, so Trump, Hillary, it's pretty much set in stone. Well, it's, I mean, it's looking strongly like, like that could be the case, yeah. And what are your feelings? Do you care? Do you, are you excited? Are you not excited? Are you amused by Trump? Are you, you know, we started off your initial, your initial feelings on Trump were not supportive, but they were in awe of his uh, existence as a, you know, non-traditional freak of nature in the political world. So what, where are you with him now? Well, I'm not even saying that it was supportive or not supportive. I've done I've done my best to keep my own personal politics removed from our podcast, and I've done my best to provide only analysis without really getting into you know, personal beliefs or anything. So I'm going to try to continue along along that vein. But I will say that I will say that it made me it made me happy uh, to see what happened last week because Trump took on so many things that you're not allowed to take on uh, from the prior GOP presidency to the Vatican to the whole kind of industrial military complex, just many things that are completely taboo for any sort of attack if you're running for the GOP nomination. And he just sort of decided to just you know, laying them all at once. Nothing was was off limits, and he and he still won. Uh, and as he keeps pointing out, he won across every demographic: the military vets, the evangelicals that Cruz had counted on, uh, every piece of the popula- population, the overeducated, the undereducated. So it made me happy to see, if for no other reason than it's exciting, because number one, no one's ever done that before ever and number two he's reached this sort of just weird this weird plane he's not you know he's not in some ways every everyone else is just sort of safely in orbit around a planet and trump's just sort of blasted off towards mars and we don't really know where he's going or where it's going to end up but it's it's sure more exciting than watching the international space station just going in loops around the world you know and do you have any sort of worry about the actual impact on the country? Like I understand, I don't, I, I, I don't need you to pick a, pick a side, but it's entertaining, sure. But do you think it, it could have potentially have a negative effect on your life? Like, do, does any result, does anyone who's currently running for president get elected and have a negative result on your life? Well, I'm, I I just personally think that that any anyone else still in the running for the GOP nomination would have a worse effect because I think they'd be more likely to get us into another war. I think they'd be far more likely to give the top one percent and so forth 
more and more tax breaks. And I'm not saying I think in the sense that maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I'm saying that these are actual numbers and their tax plans have been analyzed in actual dialogue and actual conversations and statements that they've made. So I think that what's the the worst case scenario is to get a super hardcore hawk who gets us into more military conflict while continuing to cut taxes on the very wealthy, open the income gap up even more while working really hard to undo social reform as it pertains to abortion or gay marriage or anything else that you want to name that we we might like to think our country's done pretty well on. So pretty much Ted Cruz is your extra nightmare. Or Rubio. If you if you look past the pretty face and the nice white teeth of Marco Rubio, there's a serious, serious hawk in there. About the best you can say in him is that he's pure establishment, but when you look at the people writing him the checks are actually wanting, then it makes you look twice at it. Well, I think it's going to be Trump versus Hillary, and I'm pretty... Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of people are saying that no one, no one is, I mean, they're saying that since no one, no one has ever won two out of the three first primaries and not gone on to take the GOP nomination. So if if Trump doesn't win, then it would be a historical first. But of course, if he does win, it would be a historical first. So take it or leave it. Yeah, I think the story is yet to be told. I've said that every time. I don't know whether this breaks the breaks the Republican Party up or whether it um, makes them. You know, maybe there's a split convention or something. Or is you know, would Trump and or excuse me, Cruz and Rubio get together to beat him? But would that even work? And then you look at. I mean, I think he gets killed by Hillary. I really do. I think that. There is a limit on the people who vote for him, and they're perfect for the primaries, but that that limit can't be expanded as time goes on. I think if you vote for Ted Cruz and Ted Cruz doesn't win, I'm not sure you vote for Donald Trump in the general election. I think he might just stay home. So I, I guess I'm, I'm, again, I'm pretty disappointed that my options are going to end up being someone who I think is a horrible liar who's the maybe the next Richard Nixon of politics and that's Hillary Clinton and someone who I don't want to be in charge of the international policy of this country and that's Donald Trump it's like it's I, I guess I don't know yeah, I wish... by that logic you don't you don't have many good options so it's, it's, you know, and I don't really want, I don't want Bernie Sanders to be president. I gave him 35 bucks, but that's just because I think that his message is important for people to hear. Did you see how Charles Koch actually wrote that he agreed with Sanders on one of the fundamental issues he's running on? Yeah, I, I couldn't even finish the piece. Yeah. I, it's such hypocrisy. Now, I, I will say that I, I thought, I thought that undeniably Trump's done some really important things no matter what you think of them one of them for example ironically because of how much money he personally has showing that money really doesn't matter the way everyone assumed it did for winning an election trump's he he spent such a small amount of money i think his greatest single expense are those red hats i think he spent 1.4 million dollars on make america great hats and He's done so well. His his dollar 
to vote ratio or his dollar to, you know, uh, you know, minute of publicity, however you want to measure it. It's been actually really refreshing to see that it's not always the person with the most money. And when I say with the most money, I mean spending the most money. And part of what I loved about watching Bush drop out, and a lot of people said, oh, we feel sorry for him and this and that, and I didn't feel sorry for that for him. Uh, he spent almost $150 million. Jab exclamation he spent point. so much money. His, for every vote he got in Iowa, he spent $2,800 for every single vote. Trump, I think, spent something at most a couple hundred, you know. And I think that, to me, it was it was really cool to see and good to see that at least say what you will. It's not only about buying an election these days. So or this election cycle. So I remember when I don't know whenever it was maybe three, four, or five years ago when there was that whole and it went around for a few years, but there was a whole line of thinking in the press that was basically like now you know. George W. wasn't even the hand-picked successor for the Bush family. It was actually Jeb. So, like, George W. stepped out of his, you know, rank and ran for president, but it should have been Jeb. So watch out, because Jeb's going to be the next Bush in line. He's the one the family really was counting on to become the next president after the father. And now I just want to go around to every one of those journalists and be like, Hey guys, it wasn't Jeb. It was never Jeb. Jeb never had it in him. Like, there was never a world where Jeb was going to become president because he's horrible at being a politician. He is miserable. And the reason that GW went and went for it is because he was like, You think Jeb's going to become president? This guy is doesn't know his ass from his elbow. Like, Jeb was a horrible. Well, if you remember way back when they simultaneously. GW ran for governor of Texas and Jeb for Florida and Jeb just barely missed Florida and GW got Texas. And that's when their sort of political paths started to veer away from each other. But you're right. Jeb's, Jeb's a terrible candidate. I think that definitely there are some cycles, you know, probably if he existed 20 years ago and people were fine with a kind of stodgy by the numbers, you know, perfect, right-centered Republican that he would have probably ended up with the nomination given the name and the influence. But I think that he's a terrible candidate. And I think that out of every election cycle in history, when he was most unlikely to get it, it was, it was definitely this one. God, he stinks. And, and, and newsflash, everyone doing anything, whether you're trying to be the lead in a movie or run for president or convince people to buy something from you at a convenience store do not wear those glasses that make your eyes look three times bigger than they actually are i don't know how that still happens how do people still think that that's a normal look jeb had googly eyes when he was running for president no wonder he didn't get elected well it took him off the last week at least yeah i mean i'm serious Saul. what that that's like that's like a look from like the little rascals or something or like the kid from jerry Maguire. it's like <laughs> what what are you what, that's not no you can't do anything you're not going to get a date you're not going to sell a hot dog you're not going to become the governor you're not going to get on tv you don't wear those glasses that make your eyes look bigger i don't know 
what you think they do for you on the positive side, but the glasses people got together and they invented glasses that do the job without making you look like a complete freak. So just wear those glasses. Well, it was the the glasses obviously didn't help them not win the primary. <laughs> or maybe they did. They helped him lose the primary. All right, we got to do uh, intentions for the week. We're wrapping up here, folks. Saul, any intentions for the week, or do you want me to go first? Go for it. Well, I think my intention for the week is to continue to do more of the things that make me happy and less of the things that don't. Just because there's a curriculum at business school that helps me work on all these different elements of how to be a good business person doesn't mean that I can't do things like be outside, buy a piano off Craigslist and buy a book of songs that I can learn, cook amazing food, plan a pop-up dinner in my 380-year-old house that serves exclusively local food, figure out a way to sell my ice cream that makes me happy, that makes me calm, that makes me money, and partners with an existing organization that understands where I'm coming from. So my goal for the week is to continue to do more of the things, like going to the Cape Cod National Seashore, and less of the things like having a conversation about how I need an Instagram account. That's a good intention. Thanks. I my intention. I'm gonna wash my cat. That's what I'm gonna do. What do you mean? Well, I noticed that her her coat doesn't really have that silky sheen to it that that it could, and so I bought a very expensive bottle of eucalyptus and mint flavored shampoo, cat shampoo. I mean. And even though I'm a little freaked out about the washing process, I'm just going to do it. What? Oh, you're going to wash your cat? I thought you, were gonna, I, I thought you said you were going to watch your cat. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll watch while I wash. How about that? All right, so your intention is to wash your cat. What day is that going to go down? What do we have? Like, do we are we do we need to be worried about you? Do you have leather gloves? Do they, does the cat have claws? Like, where are we at here? Yeah, of course the cat has claws. I'm not some barbarian. I'm not going to declaw the cat. Uh, I'll also say that just given my general tendencies, I tend to push stuff to the end of the week that I don't want to do. So clearly I'm not going to do it tonight, for example. But I'm going in to meet with my accountant and do my taxes for the year, which I also don't want to do on Thursday. And so I might just make it a day of things that I don't want to do, which will be taxes, going to work, and washing the cat just all at once. <laughs> all right. Well, that sounds great. We want to we want to hear a uh, you know quick recap on next week's show. And also, I think you should be proud of the, all the money you made this year. Don't be mad about the taxes. The reality is your tax bill is higher because you are. Uh, creating a prosperous business for yourself and there are many moments of your life where you wish you could make this much money in order to pay this many taxes so just go into it with a positive 
attitude and remember that taxes are a time to reflect on all of the business that you accomplished over the last year. And frankly, you should probably be pretty proud of that. The taxes make me so fucking mad. They're making me mad just thinking about them. I, I really hate paying taxes. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for stopping by, listening to Landline. Uh, Saul and I will be doing this every week, usually Monday mornings, but uh, today, probably Tuesday, or excuse me, every week, Monday mornings, this week, possibly Tuesday. Um, check out other episodes at talkforaliving.com, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash landlinepodcast, and on iTunes, search Landline Podcast. We are glad to have you here listening to us. We love making the podcast for you, and we would love to have you tell a friend. That's the number one way our podcast can continue to grow. Numbers are going up steadily. We're excited about that, and we want them to continue. So tell somebody you know who you think will like the show, like to learn, like to laugh, like to spend their time cleaning the turlet at their house, listening to us. Uh, Saw any parting shots for our listeners. Stay tuned for next week. It should be a good one, and um, congratulations to everyone on uh, the last week of February. We're turning the corner, and soon it'll be 175 in California, so everyone can look forward to that. Goodbye. Bye, Saul. Have a great week. You too. Adios. There was, folks, another episode of Landline Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please do check us out and spread the word. Tell your friends. I do have some bonus content for you, so little peach pit after dark. If you're not done with the dishes, scrubbing the toilet, cleaning the house, driving to Timbuktu, coming up a story about me making $15 an hour for a consulting gig, air quotes, definitely necessary, Handmade pie, Portland, Oregon, and trying to get the upper hand in a situation when you never will. Thanks for listening. Call the landline, 617-744-1895. Leave a message. Text the link to a friend right now. Email somebody. Tell a buddy after you've had too many beers. Whatever it is that you're into, spread the word about the pod. Enjoy the bonus. Have a great day. I think if you reach those moments where you're talking to people and then you nod thoughtfully and you say, I think olive oil ice cream is a great idea. Thanks for sharing that link. Then suddenly that's when you're running into more trouble. All right. Well, then maybe I just need to fight. Maybe, you know, it's just that I've burned so many bridges in my life. Saw, and I've gotten all this feedback. And, you know, the beginning of the semester, the semester was getting was actually having that feedback come back to roost and having to read about myself and. It turns out that the all that burning bridges like maybe has in, inhibited my growth as a professional. And so how do I walk the line of like keeping my Alex edge? It's it really I think the answer is that I need to have a success. If I have a big success where I'm making money, then I don't need anyone's help. I don't I, I mean don't... look, the funny the funny part about burning bridges is that a bridge is only re- really a way for you to retreat. I mean, technically speaking, the military term of burning a bridge is to not you know, allow people to get to you or not allow you to go back over the way you came from. So 
we could argue that the more bridges you burn, the better because it's going to drive you forward, which is the only direction you're still free to go in. It's an interesting way of looking at it. All right, well, how is your... Can you think of what's, what's one bridge that you've burned in your life that you really regret burning? Oh, man. I mean, I have a lot of embarrassing moments that I, that I choose not to think about in terms of bridges I burned. Um, yeah, but that's, that's different. What's, what's one bridge you've burned really torched that you really, really wish you hadn't, where you'd be better off in some significant way? All right, so I worked for this small, I mean, this is a small one, but it's the first one that came to my head. I worked for this small bakery in Portland called Loretta Jeans, which I think probably has the best pie in the world, and I'm not saying that with hyperbole. If you're ever in Portland, Oregon, you go to Loretta Jeans. If you get a slice of pie and whoever's working behind the counter actually knows what they're doing, like go at a time when someone working would be staffed because they were capable also you know saturday afternoon sunday morning times like that not monday um i worked there i worked as a kitchen manager for a while i helped them kind of organize their kitchen a little bit i helped them design a new menu and a lot of this stuff really was coming from the owner but i was there to help her figure it all out then i went off and did the beer garden which was amazing and then i went back to loretta jeans after the beer garden because i couldn't make any more money and I needed a little consulting gig before what I was calling a consulting gig before I got to business school. I was just trying to make money any way I can. So I helped them figure out a delivery program for their pastries. Basically, like they make these amazing buttermilk biscuits, scones, cookies. And the owner, um, the two owners are husband and wife. And the, the male owner wanted me to set this up for him. So I did it as much as I could. And I didn't really try that hard. But I, I based on like the the bad layout that they gave me. They didn't give me a great canvas to paint on, but like they gave me a canvas and I painted okay. They gave me a shitty canvas and I painted okay. And as things were going along, it kind of got to a point where they didn't really like what I was doing and they felt like I wasn't accomplishing the thing that they said that I was accomplishing and then money came in into the decision. Like how much was I gonna get paid how much should I get paid? What what did I accomplish? What I said I did, and um, you know, was I worth whatever we had agreed on? And um, I ended up sending them this email that basically finally just took out fourteen months of my frustrations with how things were going with their business like they were running a small bakery and uh here should i read the email yeah absolutely okay this is on fire it up september 9th 2014 hi guys yeah. noah so the owner's name is noah and the uh, other owner's name is kate not now husband and wife they were boyfriend and girlfriend and i love them and they'll never hear this but if they do i love them i love working for them but this is a bridge i burned and i feel embarrassed hi guys noah made it clear to me that he maybe both of you are not satisfied with the job i did setting up the delivery system and feel that i didn't finish the task at hand as a result of not hiring both delivery drivers i disagree with him and feel relatively upset that you haven't agreed to pay in full here are some details of our discussions over the last few weeks that highlight my point of view. Initially, Noah texted me saying he needed help on August 6th, 
Special Forces Dark Ops. A little bit of farmer's market, maybe cook a little, and I really want to give the wholesale program for a I really want to give the wholesale program a described amount of time, three to five weeks, so I can turn it into a regular job and hire it out. I told him I could work starting Friday. We then met on Thursday, 8-7, and discussed in person what, what he was hoping for. Noah asked me to A, help him by working the farmer's market because he was burned out, B, help Kate with some line shifts because there was some turnover in the kitchen, C, do the delivery system installation. I agreed, and Noah asked me to describe what I would need to be paid for something like this. I emailed him later that day with specifics. I can work 14 weekdays between now and when I go out of town at approximately five hours a day. That's 70 hours. How about a $1,000 fee plus expenses mileage for this work with a goal to install a program invoicing system and hire a driver? This work will be both physical and office. That is just under $15 an hour. I mean, there's a whole podcast about how about that. And build in time for me to work more, more or be more efficient. Also, you can pay me a consulting fee and expense it, and I can get all the money without taxes removed at first. There you go, IRS. Uh, let's make sure I'm still recording, and I am. Over the next few weeks, I was tasked with doing the job with intermittent and disorganized conversations with Noah over text, email, and, and the phone, illustrating how busy he was with other tasks and personal obligations. This was workable, but I continually tried to emphasize the time on that we were working under and make sure that both of you understood that I wasn't available to do this project beyond the date I had outlined. In regard, in regard to hiring drivers, I posted the ad on Poached, called what I deemed to be a suitable candidate, asked Noah over text how he wanted to proceed with hiring them. He said interview them at first, then Kate, and then scheduled interviews as soon as he was available after speaking with candidates on the phone at length. After interviewing the first two candidates, Noah said they could both do the job and was ready to offer them the job and asked me to do so. At that point, the timeline that worked for the two candidates and I had them coming in to train the week of my last three days. One candidate showed up, was successfully trained, and is now working for you. The other didn't respond to emails and calls, and I began to look for other candidates. Those candidates I reached out to never responded to my calls, and the first got back in touch with an affirmation that he was ready to be hired. We all know how that worked out. That guy ended up being a flake. Um... I'm going to go on, and if it's boring, you'll tell me afterwards. On Monday, August 25th, I emailed both with an update on where we were, were as I felt that the timeline and progress were not being sufficiently discussed by all three of us. Once again, I brought up money in that email. Once again, I did not re receive any response from either of you, and writing that would indicate that you were unhappy or concerned about the job I was doing or that would deem the job unfinished, even as the potential hires were not slam dunks. Nor did you indicate concern about the job being left in a state that you might deem unfinished. Have you ever heard an email this well written for $15 an hour? I don't think there has been. I was just going to say they're, they're lucky that you didn't also bill them for the time it took to write the email. <laughs> when you Sam, have another thousand. When D Sam didn't show up and we only had one driver, I did all I could to put you in a position to succeed with someone else by showing you the system and telling Noah who I thought in the poached pool might be a good solution. Clearly that didn't work out. To be blunt, I feel that your disorganization and lack of management was the direct cause of the job not being finished. You and should, that's the bridge. You should that's have, the bridge, ladies and gentlemen. You, you should have answered my emails, had a clear and organized way of communicating between all three of us, understood the timeline that I so clearly stated on multiple occasions, and seen the problems coming before they burned you. 
I did, exclamation point, and I tried to warn you about them. I was crystal clear with Noah when we first met at Coffeehouse Northwest that I wouldn't be cheap because I was done being underpaid in general. What a joke that statement is. I also said I only had a certain amount of time. His actions hiring me were an implicit understanding of this agreement. I did my job, and then one of the elements fell through. I never met Sam. I never hired Sam. I never was sure Sam would work out, and I made all my concerns about him known as soon as I had them. Lastly, if you have a problem with someone's performance, you don't wait until payday to let them know about it. To me, this is an indication of the lack of communication that creates problems in the first place. I've always wanted Loretta Jeans to succeed, and I've always worked hard to make that happen. It doesn't speak well of the reciprocity of that relationship that you want to be that you want to renegotiate on this latest endeavor. Please send the remaining amount, eight hundred and ninety dollars, to my LLC name of the address. I will send you the necessary tax forms. Noah, please send the bunk check to my name at the same address. And then he, do you want to hear his response? I mean, it's long. I don't, I, and obviously I don't want, I don't. Uh, well, let's just, just give us, give us a, a two line summary of his response. All right. Sorry. Oh, Did the check arrive? Yeah, I got paid. I got paid, and, like, that's the thing. They're just, like, a small little operation. They can't always pay, and it's not a big deal. And, like, it's, it's. I mean, honestly, this is, like, such a, you know, what do they call that, uh, Florence Nightingale syndrome or whatever. But, like, it's, like, I feel guilty because I preyed on these people, and I shouldn't have needed $890. Um, and... Well, okay, so that so that's an example of of a bridge you burned. I would say that it's not um, necessarily a bridge. That... Wait, you want to read the response? No, I mean he just says, Alex. I never said I wouldn't pay you. Period. No questions. Your payment has never been on the table, and I understand your defensiveness. Now that we have dispensed with that issue, I need to know what you intend to do to finish the job we are paying you for. That was the first line and the last line. I read them, so it's like. You know, he's a bulldog. He always was a bulldog. And, like, he was trying to... I, I never liked working for him. That was the problem. And I took it out. I didn't like working for him. I liked working for her. He squeezed the most out of you, and he was cheap. And I always felt like I could have done his job if I was in a different position. But the position I put myself in Portland constantly was that I wasn't willing to commit to the city. I always wanted to leave. And so I ended up working for people like him instead of hiring people like he did. I could have easily done the ice cream thing there. And, you know, it, or, you know, that's just an example. And so I put myself in these positions and I hate to be at somebody else's behest, basically. Right. But the funny thing is that 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 is certainly it counts as a burned bridge in the sense that there was there was burning that happened. Uh, and there's a bridge that used to exist that doesn't exist linking you to the pie company but i'd hardly say embarrassment aside or remorse aside it's not really a bridge that you couldn't afford to burn but did i prove anything there like did anybody learn anything our listeners i think they learned a lot but no, well, thanks, all. I appreciate that, and I'm glad I read it. But like, did they learn anything? I, there's no way they read even half that email. No, I, had I, a... I guarantee, I guarantee that 
they read it at least three times, and I guarantee it put them in a bad mood for the next two days, for sure, absolutely. Did he did did he change his life radically? Did he approach new hires in a totally different way because of that email? Maybe not, but I guarantee that they read through him. But I mean, with growing irritation. To circle back to the original topic, which is uh, the the move there was to not take that job, was to actually make a step in the direction of what I wanted to do with my life at that moment. The reason I decided to work for those guys was because I needed to, but it was because I was lazy and I didn't find a better opportunity. Not like a better opportunity, but rather something that I would have liked to do. I put myself in a position that I didn't like to be. And that's what I was talking about with some of the feelings I've had this week with, you know, some of the situations I've gotten to myself in at school, some of the work I've had to do. Like, I, I'm skipping homework right now and doing this with you because this makes me feel good. And when do you get to the part in life where you only do things that make you feel good for money? There are people who do that. They're like artists and musicians, and they're, but they're also business people. And I, I, I think that there's a very specific path that you have to go down in order to just say, like, no, I'm not doing that because I see that if I do that, I will spend time. And it's not about, like, everyone has to do things they don't like to do. That's okay. I don't need every part of my day to be great. But I don't necessarily want to be spending time on things that will propel me to a place that I don't want to be. And I didn't want to be at the end of successfully accomplishing that task that I was given, even when it was offered to me in the first place. And I made it. Yeah, of course. But we've, yeah, but in, in regards to that task, we've, we've all been there. We've all been there in, in spots where you had to hustle a little and you had to do work. You didn't really care that much about doing and get what you, in your opinion was being significantly underpaid to do it. You know, I've, I've been there. I think very few people have not been. Maybe Gabe hasn't. I don't know. Yeah. 